0: An Elm Hello, welcome back to Every Town Has an Elm Street. We've been on a bit of a hiatus lately, uh, but we figured we're about due for, uh, for some more content. And seeing as we're ringing in the new year, what better time to look back at 2017 and uh, see how the horror genre looked last year. Uh, Scoot is not here tonight, he's, uh, being useless again, so I'm joined by Steven Sanchez. Uh, he and I are gonna go over our ten favorite horror movies of 2017. Steve, how are we doing tonight? I'm good.
1: I'm, I'm good. <laughs> it's been a while.
0: Well, you're sufficiently creepy still, so that, that works. You are welcome. Well, let's, uh, we were just discussing the movies this year, and... Why don't we start with uh, what we did last year? Let's do a quick re- recap of our, our top 10 from 2016, and then we'll jump into the, the 2017 list.
1: Such a good year.
0: Uh, 20. I think we both agree that 2016 was probably a, a much deeper year than 2017. Though 2017 did have r- some real strong contenders up top, but uh, our top 10 in 2016 started out with Hush, it's directed by uh, Mike Flanagan, it was a Netflix movie, and it was phenomenal. It, if you haven't seen it, it's about a, a deaf woman who lives alone out in the woods, and uh, there's a psychopath out there, and he's kind of stalking her. Um, pretty good home invasion type, good pacing. Um, ninth on that list was The Monster, which uh, Steve, you, want, you got anything you want to say about The Monster? Because I know it was the same director from uh, The Strangers.
1: It was, yeah. The monster was like, it was such a, it was a small film. Like, it was just, you know, one, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that. Like, it was a fucking year ago. So, like, um, it was one setting, basically the whole movie. I mean, there were some kind of flashback parts, but, you know, it's just one controlled setting where this mom and a daughter just surviving against this monster who we have no idea where this thing comes from or, you know, what its origins or anything like that. But it was... It was sufficiently creepy, and I mean, there was a couple good performances. Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, I think that was one of my <laughs> picks from the big, from the list. So, uh, yeah,
0: number eight was also that was another one of your picks. Um, was Pet?
1: Oh, Pet. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I did like that. With uh, why am I forgetting his name? Dominic uh, Monaghan. Monaghan. Yep, from and, Lord uh, of the Rings. From Lord of the Rings, fame, and your boy lost. And um, lost. Yes, and Jeremy Slater did the yep. screenplay for it. Um, for
0: those who don't know, Jeremy Slater is our boy. He's the showrunner for Fox's The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve interviewed him for Geek a while ago. Cool guy. Uh, but he wrote Pat. It was directed by Chris Torrens. Um, next on the list was uh, was one that got a little bit of flack, was uh, The Conjuring 2. Um, not quite as good as the first one, but I thought it was a worthy sequel, um, and kept a a pretty fun horror universe going, which has given us movies like Annabelle and the upcoming The Nun, um, and, uh, there's a third Conjuring movie in the works, so they're, uh, they're off and running with those.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna Uh, lie, I did not see The Conjuring 2. I've actually not seen a lot of The Conjuring universe stuff, because, it scares the shit out of me. So those are like the <laughs> hardest ones for me to watch. Cause like I, I watched the first kind of dream movie, but man, it's been a struggle <laughs> to watch anything else in that universe because they sure as hell do it. Right.
0: Well, I like, um, Vera for quite a bit. She plays, uh, uh, what is it? Ed and Warren. Lorraine,
1: uh, Lorraine, Warren, yep.
0: Lorraine. Yeah. Warden. Um, who the, the movies kind of revolve around. Uh, and she was, she's Norma Bates on Bates motel. And, uh, uh, sixth on our list from last year was Green Room, which was one of my favorite movies of the whole year, oh, for horror sure. or otherwise. Um, it was uh, uh, Anton Yelchin, one of his last movies. You had Patrick Stewart in there. You had Emojin Poots, um, who was also in the Fright Night remake with Yelchin a couple years earlier. Um, you had uh, maybe Funke from Arrested Development was in there. Uh, this is a great... Um, sort of horror thriller. Just like nonstop neo- suspense, yep.
1: man. It was just oh my god.
0: This movie is like from start to finish. It uh, it it's fast paced and it never stops. It's real and very intense. Um,
1: that, fun, mis- uh, that 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 arm, that arm, <laughs> the arm yeah. scene is just fucking ugh.
0: <laughs> so that yeah, if you haven't seen um, if you haven't seen Green Room, that's uh, that's sort of a must watch from 2016. Uh fifth one, which was probably the most critically acclaimed of the ones on our list, which Steve liked more than I did, uh though I, I plan to go back and, and give it another shot uh I wasn't as impressed as everybody else, but that was the witch.
1: Oh. You bastard. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> but
0: uh that's Anya Taylor Joy, who um, you know, is becoming a real staple in uh in the genre. She's gonna be um in the the New Mutants movie that's coming out uh, in a few months, which is you know the first Marvel horror movie, it's uh, going to take place in the X Men universe. Um, she's also going to be in the upcoming Nosferatu remake, But so, which is also
1: by Robert Eggers, who did The Witch. So he's hopefully he's going to stay on a roll here.
0: Yeah, and he's <laughs> he seems to have his muse picked out. So um, you know, hopefully they keep making quality stuff. Um, the fourth one on our list last year was 10 Cloverfield Lane, which was, again, one of my favorite films of the year. Um, real small cast, uh, but I like everybody in it. John Gallagher Jr. and John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Winstead were all great. Um, I still think that, that Goodman deserved a, an Oscar nod for his role in here, though predictably did not get one. The horror genre doesn't typically get a whole lot of attention come award season. Um, but... That was uh, that movie. <laughs> this might be the year, though, right? Could be. There's some uh, there's some contenders this year. Um, but the uh, so that was the second movie in the Cloverfield series. Uh, it's recently been announced that the third movie in the Cloverfield series has been yet again delayed. So we'll have to wait and see um, where that one goes. Some bullshit. Uh, yeah. Going back to last year. This was another one. Steve liked a little bit more than I did. Uh, he had lights out. Oh, yeah yeah it did have uh what's his
1: face at the beginning The uh he was like 24 billy Billy um, burke billy burke yeah Yeah. i almost said billy boyd like on (laughs) (laughs) no billy burke though
0: billy burke who i will always remember um partially from the movie drive angry with Nicolas cage (laughs) but more so uh in season two of 24 kim bauer is his live-in nanny and he threatens to kill her it's like a real zero to 60 moment you're like wow that escalated <laughs> that escalated ridiculously fast but real. um so yeah lights out uh, was last year number two uh for 2016 we had
1: the train to passan um
0: yeah. steve
1: you want to talk about this one train to passan is one of the best zombie movies i've ever seen because I thought for sure it was just, I mean, you know, you think like, oh, it's a a zombie movie. There's been zombie overload the last, what now, like 10 years, 15 years. It's been a while since Walking Dead. When did Walking Dead come out? About 2010. 2010. So yeah, it's been a little over the top lately. But um, this one took place in South Korea. So it was, you know, it's a whole different setting, but the pace of it was just like, it was nonstop. Like it all takes place on, for the most part, on a train. Obviously, from the title. Uh, spoiler alert: There's a lot of train, but um, it, God, it was a very emotional movie for a zombie movie. Like I've never, never been a zombie movie that where I've like teared up. I'm not gonna say I flat out cried because fuck you, but I, uh, I did tear up. <laughs> a couple well, look things. at in
0: 2017 we had Murder on the Orient Express, which uh, with a bunch of Oscar winners, all star cast, based on a classic Agatha Christie novel. Mm-hmm. And this train movie got way more critical acclaim than that train movie did. Yeah. And this one's about zombies. Yep. So that should tell you something. Uh, and then last year, we, we rounded it out with our, our number one for the year. Um, a movie that took place right here in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Don't Breathe uh, by Fetty Alvarez, who did the Evil Dead remake in 2013. Um, this movie starred our boy, yeah. the party crasher himself. Stephen Lang and um, not uh, it was a little bit of a theme last year we had hush with the with the deaf victim uh, and and in this one our antagonist was actually uh, blind so we were all uh, all for the um, handy capable
1: is that just one of those weird coincidences where like the same year the two movies come out that are like that and then like you know kind of like the, the akin to like um, White House down. <laughs> And Olympus' is falling coming out the same year. Or two Snow White movies coming I'd out say, the same year.
0: I, I'd say these are less connected than the other ones, but it did yeah. seem like... Yeah. And the, But the other thing, too, these are both legitimately good in oh, yeah, the genre, sure. whereas typically, whenever that happens elsewhere, you've got a decent one and a total turd. A shit one, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and this one, oh man, like if Hush would have been in theaters, I think, man, they... I, I mean, you know, that's they, they probably thought it's a small film, so, you know, they're just going to do, like, a Netflix thing, but... Because it took... What did it say? It took, like, 15 days to shoot or something like that? Yeah, it was a quick shoot. Yeah, 15 I mean, days I to think, shoot, man. It, if they would have released that in theaters, it would have made some good money, I think.
0: And that actually... Um, the I don't think this is really giving anything away, because it doesn't matter. If you haven't seen how you should watch it. But the, um, the stalker in that movie is played by John Gallagher Jr., who was also in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, he had a heck of a year last year. He's been, uh, uh, and then he was actually in another one that didn't quite make our list this year, um, the Belko Experiment for 2017, which was uh, probably borderline. You know, If we we're going to do honorable mentions for 2017, I think Belko would probably be in there, um, except it's just as much action comedy as it is horror. So probably why we left it off. But uh, John Gallagher Jr. Um, rather impressive.
1: So. <laughs> if you're out there, buddy, we like you.
0: <laughs> so uh, that was, you know, just quick recap of, of the 2016 list. Um, now we'll do our our top for 2017, and uh, you can let us know which year you prefer and how we did, and uh, why we're stupid and what <laughs> we left off. Tell
1: us to go fuck ourselves, whatever you want.
0: So. Uh, for 2017, let's jump into it. Um, for the number 10 on the list, and this was, uh, I'll let Steve take this one, we had Raw, which was originally titled Grave. Um, it was released limited in uh, 2016, but its wide release didn't hit until middle of 2017, so we're counting it for this year.
1: Yep, and this was a um, also a French film, so don't mind subtitles, don't mind subtitles. Yeah, super Frenchy artsy. Frenchy, Frenchy. Yeah, super liberal, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no it was um uh, but I mean, if if you don't mind subtitles I mean come on you watch like Pan's Labyrinth and stuff like that it's are still good movies um just you movie's watch seen, Train to Busan that's another one with subtitles that was just like who cares because <laughs> it's awesome
0: this um, movie the, this is so artsy I thought Scoot picked it but he's not I, even here I
1: he you know if he actually would have seen it I I mean I don't know if he saw it or not but this is like a total Scoot pick so I mean he's here in spirit for this one um there you
0: go scooter
1: but this one was like <laughs> It's so weird because it's like a, it's a horror film and it's, it's kind of a coming of age film, but like, oh my God, like not coming of age in like the, you know, like the cheery sense of like, uh, like a Johnny so film at all. It's like, yeah, not,
0: not pretty in pink.
1: It is not pretty in pink. It is rather disgusting. Um, so it's, you know, this girl, it's her first year in college with the same college where her sister goes. It's a, and it's a veterinarian college and I don't want to give too much away, but like clearly well, you've seen the let me, tr- if you've seen. The, are we doing spoilers or no spoilers?
0: Well, we'll try and keep it mostly spoiler free, but I think let me read the synopsis for the film. This okay. is like the so it's right in the description of the film, so it shouldn't be too spoilery. It's described when a young vegetarian undergoes a carnivorous <laughs> hazing ritual at vet school, an unhidden taste for meat begins to grow <laughs> in her.
1: So ooh. yes, it is. Uh, it's very. There's a lot of gross out stuff. You know like when vegetarians go bad. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny cuz there's like a whole thing behind like you know she's she knows she's not supposed to eat meat because she gets sick but there's a hazing ritual at the school where they t- they make all the new coming students eat a raw uh, rabbit kidney which is crazy because it seems like a thing that the school is totally fucking on board for cuz like it's just right out <laughs> in the open with like every new student I don't even know who the fuck's running this school because I really didn't think I saw any teachers, but um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it gets worse from there because I mean that's <laughs> you watch Daenerys Targaryen eat a fucking horse heart, eating a rabbit kid, not that bad, <laughs> but like there's stuff that happens in this movie that's very like it's nauseating, and I mean it's it's it's. Some people might argue like, oh, it's not horror enough, but it's seriously fucking gross and disturbing. So I recommend anybody watch it, especially Scoot because he loves independent films and foreign films. Oh, he
0: does love lording over us with how (laughs) he did. What a better person he is than us. Here's a movie about French vegetarians. This is his. (laughs) This is right up his alley. This
1: is the promised land for him.
0: He's gonna. Scoot will probably be the one editing this, even though he's not on it. So I imagine uh, he's gonna cut out all of our insults. But we'll see what makes it through. Don't you see what makes it through? Don't you do it, Scoot? (laughs) Um. All right. Let's move on. Number nine on the list. Uh, We will admit this pick is fueled by a bit of nostalgia. Um, it's an enjoyable movie. It's not going to be up for any awards. Um, and the fan base is actually a little split on it though. Uh, both Steve and I enjoyed it quite a bit and that was cult of Chucky. So this one is a continuation of curse of Chucky, obviously with, um, Fiona Dorf, who is Brad Dorf's daughter, uh, returns as Nika and she is now in, uh, she took the blame for all of Chucky's murders in the previous movie and she's in this asylum and uh she ends up interacting with um you know with some of Chucky's other victims and it's uh there's some interesting kills in here it's like vintage Chucky but it goes i mean it takes the the power of the curse um quite a bit further and Chucky gets some new abilities that we didn't know about previous
1: and i think that's why like big fans of the genre of this franchise were so like split over a lot of stuff because i mean i don't know i think even when me and you were watching it we're like what the fuck (laughs) like where did this come from
0: there's definitely but it's interesting
1: right i mean it was interesting
0: they really uh introduced some new powers into the mythology and this one let's let's do the short synopsis let's do chucky returns to terrorize his victim his human victim nika Meanwhile, the killer doll has some scores to settle with his old enemies with the help of his former wife. So fans of the franchise know that that means Jennifer Tilly is going to pop up. Yeah. A um, lot of a lot of actors uh, from previous installments get a little bit more play in here. Yeah, the I like it because. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying I like the movie because it really does play on the whole mythology and it sort of ties into like all six previous entries and it. uh Brings things full circle a little bit more, you know, as opposed to just being another another sequel.
1: Um, yeah,
0: you you get a little more um, continuity, sort of.
1: Yeah, and it, I mean the trailer wasn't shy about showing it that Alex Vincent, who played Andy bar- Barclay back, in or I, I always say Barclay, it's the, Barclay, but it's spelled bar. It's phonetically to be Barclay, but um, that he's you know he's back after how many freaking years? Like holy shit! Yeah, he,
0: he was the star of the first two movies
1: um it's a nice little touch yeah
0: so it it was good to see him back and he's not we won't ruin it but there is one other character from the previous movies who who makes a a return after quite quite an absence
1: oh yeah Um, i almost forgot about that
0: so this movie there's uh you know as with these franchise type slasher flicks i mean um there's just as many laughs as there are scares in here um not just from poorly written jokes, but from uh, you know the ridiculousness of the situation or how awesome some of the kills are. And that's – in these type of movies, that's kind of what you're looking for is some some sweet, creative kills. And I thought they did a pretty good job in this one with – I don't want to ruin it, but there was a couple real good ones in
1: here. You know, I was actually – it's so funny because I didn't want to draw the comparison between the Chucky franchise and the Star Wars franchise, but – there's so much like divisiveness. Is such an obvious. Comparison? <laughs> it's obviously a big parallel. But no, like the thing that's funny with me is like I like listening to all the like furor over, um, Last Jedi between like f- some of the fans like you know like oh they didn't they did like all the same shit the old trilogy did with Force Awakens and then they're like with Last Jedi they're like oh my god they did so much stuff that was like different. But, yeah. like, that's kind of what I feel like with the people who didn't like the stuff that they did in Cult of Chucky, the fans. It's like, do you guys want, like, the same shit over and over? Or did you want them to, like, do something a, different or I, add some kind of twist on it, you know?
0: I think when you get into franchises like that, if there's always a catch-22. Because there's, you know, part of the fan base wants something new and part of the fan base wants the old stuff. And uh, you can't please everybody at once, so there's always going to be complaining.
1: But... <laughs> I think older fan bases of any franchise, we all got to realize that one day we're all going to be dead. They got to worry about the new people coming into the yep. franchises.
0: They're already going to get our 10 bucks. You know, we're already oh, yeah. going
1: to go see it. Yeah. Um,
0: but so this one, um, you know, critic score is probably going to be the lowest of the, the movies lower than raw had, but, um, rewatch value. We thought it was a little higher than raw. So we, we gave it the nine slot. Um, Number eight. Number eight is uh it's a movie that got surprisingly um little pub, I thought for I thought it was it was pretty solid film, and in a, a year where there was so much publicity about the terrible alien covenant, we got a movie called Life. Um, which is like uh was a better alien movie than Alien Covenant. Yep. And uh we'll do the synopsis real quick on this one before we get into it. <clears throat> A team of scientists aboard the International Space Station discover a rapidly evolving life form that caused the that caused extinction on Mars and now threatens all life on Earth. Um, So this one, when you look at the cast and the the scale of the film, it seems like it's uh, I don't know what the budget was on here, but it certainly seems like it should have been a bigger movie than it was Um, movie. You got uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Rebecca Ferguson, who was just in uh, what Mission Impossible, was it four, five? Yeah,
1: Girl on a Train, Mission Impossible five. I think it was five. Yeah, and she's coming back
0: for six. She's gonna be in the so yeah, five and six. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. Uh, it was a I mean, solid, solid cast um, for like a controlled. This is a a situation where you've got a group of scientists stuck on a space station, so there's not, you know, uh, it's not a huge cast or anything, but um, I thought all the actors did a great job in here, as well acted. I thought the dialogue was believable. I thought the pacing was good, and I just, uh, I think it didn't get maybe as much publicity or anything, just because it was, um, it did draw a lot of comparisons to uh, Alien, and it came out in a year where we got an actual Alien sequel, and I think that might have actually hurt it. Uh, it looks like, ed- ed- uh, estimated budget was $58 million. It made uh, $12 million opening weekend. And it looks like... Uh, it only uh, ended up with like a hundred. <laughs> yeah, worldwide gross, it only ended with $100 million. so after marketing and all that, it may may even lost money. I don't know that it even made its money back.
1: <laughs> I, I loved all the rumors, though, about like, I, which I think they should have actually just like changed course and like re- did a like reshoot on a couple scenes um remember the rumor about like oh like what if the life form on board is like the the alien symbiote from <laughs> spider Van and it's like oh would, yeah what would become a, venom and it's like they probably should have just secret played pilot that for venom <laughs> yeah it's like the prequel just a quick prequel for us uh, i bet it would have made a lot more money oh yes hell yeah it would have and it still was a good it was still a good movie too it could have been a and good movie, like, not even mentioning anything about Spider-Man or anything until maybe the end.
0: Uh, this was directed by Daniel Espinoza, who, um, yeah, he's got a bunch of movies that are just, uh, they're okay. You know, like, uh, he did Safe House with Ryan Reynolds and Child 44 with uh, Tom Hardy. I Actually, of the stuff that he's done that I've seen, I, I think Life is probably my favorite one. Um, he's a Swedish director.
1: I was going to say, Safe House was just so forgettable for me.
0: Yeah, it's just you know or whatever Denzel and, and Ryan Reynolds and um, most of Ryan Reynolds' movies are like that, and I like Ryan Reynolds, but and it's funny too if you look at Life on IMDb, it actually the first thing like people who like this movie also liked Alien Covenant is the first suggestion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So or um, maybe
1: like not suggested.
0: So this is uh, I mean it, it draws some parallels to the the original Alien movie. It's sort of that like horror thriller type it's not super gory or anything it's more the uh danger of confined spaces um
1: and what could happen like if this thing makes it back to where home is right is which the... is
0: a i mean it's a terrifying prospect because the the rate and without giving too much away but the rate at which this thing grows within the ship and throughout the movie is very reminiscent of the xenomorph, alien and that was always Ripley's concern in the alien movies. Like if these things ever made it back to earth, humans would be extinct. Then it's same kind of thing here. They got to, but, um, instead of space truckers, you'd got a group of scientists. And, uh, instead of being on the other side of the galaxy, you're in the international space station. You're real close to earth. So it's, uh, yep. the threat is heightened a little bit, I suppose. So. But, uh, that was number eight for us was life. A good sci-fi thriller. If you haven't seen it, um, I thought it was fun. Number seven on our list, and this one, uh, this was a, one of actually a couple PG-13. You know, Typically, these best horror lists are, are populated strictly by R-rated films, but um, the next two are actually both PG-13. Um, and when I say PG-13 movie starring Mandy Moore, you're probably not getting super excited. And if I throw in Matthew Modine's name, it probably doesn't help at all.
1: I was going to say, just but, a dash, just a little dash of Modine. Dash too. of Mo- <laughs> Modine.
0: But uh, 47 meters down was next on our list, and this is, this is uh, Steve's pick, so I'll let him go into it. But real quick, the, uh, the description or the, the synopsis. Uh, <clears throat> Two sisters vacationing in Mexico are trapped in a shark cage at the bottom of the ocean with less than an hour of oxygen left, and great white sharks circling
1: nearby, they must fight to survive. My God.
0: Do my they, God. Do,
1: do, do they ever. Okay, so if anybody like knows what, or if you don't know what thalassophobia is, it's the fear of the ocean and just like not knowing what the fuck is underneath you, and that is one of my greatest fears. Like I don't want to be stranded at sea. I don't want to be out in the open water. It disgusts me. But, uh, I mean, I like <laughs> the lake. There's nothing that's going to eat me in the lake here in Michigan. But, like, yeah, don't send me in the There's ocean. Some, I'm not going to go. Some big bass. I was going to say it's a big bass, but they probably won't want to eat me. Um, so, yeah, they... <laughs> My God. So, the synopsis didn't go into, like, the... Into, like, the cable breaking and all that stuff. But, yeah, basically, they get stranded in the damn shark cage down below. And, uh... I was going to say, if anybody's skeptical about, like, Mandy Moore being in the movie, like, she was totally fine. Um... And well, she's wrote. actually
0: she, and I haven't watched any of season two, but um, uh, I watched the first season of This Is Us on the, the NBC, cry, the Cryfest, the Cryfest <laughs> melodrama show on NBC. Yeah. Um, but she's actually really good in there.
1: Yeah, um, I don't, I don't mind her at all. So. Yeah, I haven't seen her in a whole lot of stuff, but I don't mind her. Um, and if you're like me and you fucking hate Matthew Modine, it's fine. You only <laughs> have to hear him over like the radio for most of the movie.
0: That guy is the worst. Even, like, I, even like. Yeah his involvement in stranger things is not enough to make me like him
1: oh no it's Uh, like he was a great
0: pick for a villain because i'm like fuck this guy (laughs) (laughs) so uh well this movie was directed by uh johan roberts um who is a british director he's from cambridge england and uh i haven't seen much of his previous resume um but after 47 meters down he does have a couple movies that haven't been released yet, and that's the sequel to The Strangers, which is coming out this year, after like a decade since the first movie. And then in 2019, already in pre-production, 48 meters down. Oh, man,
1: I didn't hear about that.
0: Yeah, apparently Mandy Moore is jumping back in the water.
1: If she goes back in the water, fuck her. Actually, we don't know (laughs) if she's alive or dead. Um, Because that would be a spoiler. Yeah, you don't
0: want to spoil anything.
1: I I think that one meter is probably going to add a lot more terror to it well if, <laughs>
0: if and on imdb it doesn't have any staff or staff any cast listed uh-huh.
1: so we don't know if she'll be come back for it or not um these shark the shark movies shark films they're kind of in like a big resurgence right now because like <laughs> over the last like
0: five or six years there have been quite a few of them i mean they've done Thank you, let's face Sharknado. it yeah
1: let's let's face it they've they've tried to mimic the success of Jaws back you know back from uh, 1975 and it didn't work even with Jaws 2 Jaws 3 and Jaws 4 <laughs> and then they what? still kept, they still kept trying with the deep blue sea and um you know the multitude of fucking sci-fi spring break shark movies. attack yeah spring break shark attack which uh, you know that's mega shark and all these other you know, well mega there shark is versus mecha shark and sharknado how about coming
0: soon starring jason statham yes the meg about yep. a giant Megalodon
1: shark Which doesn't so. seem like it's going to follow The the book that came out years ago Because that book is one of my favorite books ever Like I read that when I was a uh, what Was I like just, oh, I think I just, just actually, I, was, I was actually like a junior in high school And like man that was Ooh, what a, a, I pictured Harrison old. Ford playing that role And then they're like old. Jason Statham I'm like is he going to karate <laughs> kick this fucking shark or, Probably Because this shark's fucking massive But um 47 Meters Down, actually. God, that movie... They made that movie, like, last year. And then they were going to... um, They were just going to straight to DVD it or go to Netflix or something like that. Because... But then, like, since The Shallows did so good last year... Which I love... I like The Shallows. I thought that was fucking terrifying, too. That one didn't seem as terrifying as this one. I mean, she had, like, a big rock to move around on. And she was, you know, above the water. Um... But this one, man, it was that's terrifying, like you can't see shit down there, you know, there's no light, and these sharks are circling and yeah they they can't pull you back up in the cage. so I mean that was yeah. a way more terrifying situation than the shallows. I mean, g- clearly, they're both fucking terrifying and I'd died in both situations, but um, yeah, well, shark movies here comes Meg. The Meg is coming out this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we would
0: be remiss if we did not mention the opposite Mandy Moore. Uh, The other sister was played by Claire Holt, and I know a couple of our listeners like The Vampire Diaries, uh, and she was on The Vampire Diaries, I guess, as Rebecca. So, just throwing that out there so we don't get any angry shit. But actually, looking at her resume, it looks like she likes water rolls. Um, Her first show, she played Emma on H2O, Just Add Water, uh, which looks to be a show (laughs) about (laughs) mermaids, apparently. What? What? And then she was also on Aquarius, and uh, I now realize I don't that it has nothing to do with water outside of its name. It was the David Duchovny.
1: Uh, <laughs> what an acquaint- what, show. A, what a coincidence, though.
0: But yeah, it's, uh, it's a it's pretty water themed name there for uh, mermaid girl here.
1: So. For sure, and I mean she and she was fine in the movie, better than Modine. Oh, oh clearly those fake sharks were better than fucking Modine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt Modine. I know he's listening to this right now, and he's gonna be so angry with us, but. Uh all right well
0: now this is where uh i think it takes it takes a jump you know these the the final six on our list um not that we didn't like the bottom four but i think these last six are things that we agreed on that that are you know <laughs> Very, a little bit more lasting you know
1: more yeah. rewatch
0: value more
1: these were um, easier choices for sure
0: and the, the sixth one and this is one that i think surprised most people once they've seen it uh, cuz it was just much better than anyone expected And that was uh, Christopher Landon's Happy Death Day. Uh, If you don't know what this is, let me read the synopsis for you. A college student must relive the day of her murder over and over again in a loop that will end only when she discovers the killer's identity. So it's like Groundhog's Day a little bit, except, you know, Bill Murray (laughs) never had like a clear cut way to stop things from happening.
1: And I like people always say like, oh, it's like a Groundhog's Day horror movie, but it's like. You think that at first, but then you're like, after you watch it, you're like, "Fuck no, this is like Edge of Tomorrow, <laughs> yeah, uh, horror yeah. movie, except with no like uh, squid robot things and Tom Cruise." But
0: uh, yeah, because like Tom Cruise and End of Tomorrow, she dies every day. Bill Murray didn't always die; a lot of times she just got drunk and passed right, out. And yeah, woke up to Sunny and Cher. Um, also, it's um, theorized that Bill Murray actually spent over ten thousand years reliving that day in groundhog's day. Um, someone figured out how long it would take to master all the things that he masters. And that was, um, that's their estimate. So that's so,
1: that's so awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that almost qualifies groundhog's day as a horror movie right there.
1: Yeah. I that. mean, you imagine the mental toll that shit would take. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's no way he comes out of that good on the other end. Like no, I know no. the movie had a happy ending, but we don't see like a year later how he's doing. Yeah. Um, that guy's fucked, but, um, so happy death day. You've got this college student, um, tree Gelbman. I know. Terrible name. Uh, Jessica wrote though, plays a, she does a great job. Uh, I was not familiar with her too much before this. She was in La La Land, which I liked, but I didn't, you know, she wasn't like a lead or anything. And, uh, I didn't know who she was until I watched this movie. I thought she was phenomenal. Yeah. She, it, was,
1: she was awesome. I loved her
0: right much like with um groundhog's day you know like it works because bill murray you know because he's able to carry it same thing here she really carries this movie um she dominates i mean i think she's in most every most every scene if not every scene in the entire film hey i think and, she
1: i think it did stay with her like the entire time talk about like getting your audience to like love the character like they did a fucking great job of that cuz i mean it's predictably so I was not a huge fan of her at all for like the first, you know, like
0: 20, 30 minutes. And then as it progresses,
1: you're like, God, I love this broad.
0: (laughs) When the movie starts, she's a, you know, she's a stuck up bitchy sorority girl and she's mean to everyone. And uh, you're okay with her getting killed because it seems like she constantly deserves it. And as the movie wears on and you learn more about her and um, you start to sympathize with her. Uh, I thought she did a really good job of carrying things and it was a this is a, a fun movie. There's a lot of funny parts, but there's also some good legitimate like scares and some creative kills and um another thing it's a fun mystery because there really are a lot of suspects and you're not sure who it is and they uh they redirect you a couple times and um once she finally you know figures out what's going on I thought the the payoff at the end of the movie was pretty solid. So uh
1: yeah, you know, Croner, I have to tell you, too, I saw this in the theater, and my sister-in-law happened to be present, and I still enjoyed it, even though she talked a shit ton in the movie. I still loved it. Still loved it.
0: Shout out to Steve's sister-in-law, who uh, does like to talk in the movie theater quite a bit.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: <laughs> we learned that on New Year's Eve when we all saw Die Hard.
1: Thank God. Um, Thank God we, it wasn't a movie we've never seen before.
0: Yeah, good thing I know every word to the film. Um, So, yeah, if you haven't seen Happy Death Day, because this is one when the trailer came out. I heard a lot of people, you know, just shooing it off as like, well, that's going to be stupid. And they weren't really giving it any chance. But, uh, I mean, if you're a fan of the genre, which if you're listening to this, I assume you are. uh, This is definitely worth a watch, you know. Yeah, and um, if,
1: if you went and saw Wish Upon and you're skeptical, like thinking this is that same throwaway garbage horror movie that they direct at teens only like you, like you could, I mean, if you didn't take a chance on happy death day, you may have thought that, that it was just going to be a whole, like that demographic is like, you know, high school kids or like early college kids, but like, you know, we're in our mid thirties and we freaking loved it. So take a chance on it.
0: <laughs> yep. This is worth your time. And, uh, and Jessica Roth uh, was, was great. So I, I'm hoping to see her in a lot more stuff. It looks like she's got, you know, a couple things, they're getting ready to release, but I don't know, you know, how much genre stuff. You know, I hope that she does some more genre stuff. It looks like uh um she is in Please Stand by Me, which we wrote up on Geek not long ago, which looks pretty good. Uh it's Dakota Fanning and Tony Collette and Alice Eve, and it's sort of a, a Star Trek theme to it. You know, it's about a girl um who's obsessed with Star Trek and um She's an autistic woman, obsessed with Star Trek, writes a script, and blah, blah, blah. But um, that looked pretty good, but it's not exactly, you know, horror. And then the other the other stuff she's got coming out looks more like your um, Forever My Girl is going to be your typical, probably, uh, rom-com or drama romance chick flick type. Um, and then she's in Valley Girl with Mae Whitman from Rest Development. And uh, Peyton List and Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I I mean, that's got a decent, uh, I don't know much about the movie. I don't know if this is a remake of the original. um, Or actually, never mind. I know how to read. It is a musical (laughs) adaptation of the old Nicolas Cage movie from the 80s. So I don't know if that interests you. It does have a pretty solid cast to it. But, uh, yeah, here's hoping that she gets some more genre work because she was great.
1: Well, plus, and let's, I mean, you know, let's face it. This movie this movie, on its budget, did fucking awesome at the box office. Um, it definitely made its money back a couple times over. So, they're I think I'm pretty sure they're the green light a sequel. I don't know if that means she's in it. Maybe they'll do a sequel where it's like a whole different situation and whatnot. But um, I'm pretty sure they already started talking about sequels because you know, anytime a horror movie on those low budgets does phenomenal, like It or <laughs> um, Split or anything like that, they're you're guaranteed a sequel. They're gonna milk they're gonna milk it,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is a you know for this type of movie which doesn't typically get a whole lot of critical acclaim, it's got a seventy one on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good, and like when you're talking about um uh budget wise they made this movie for under five million, and it worldwide gross was a hundred and fifteen million yeah you know, it did it did fifty five here in the states. Uh, one fifteen worldwide, but they they the whole production budget was only four point eight million. So, um, I'd almost be surprised if we don't get another
1: one. So, oh yeah, for sure. That's so much profit. It's insane.
0: So I mean that and forty seven meters down. Those were our PG thirteen uh, offerings. I actually um, took my uh, ex girlfriend's fourteen year old kid and his friend to see this, and they loved it too. So I mean, you know. Um, It's something I think pretty much everybody can get something out of because I don't typically agree with them on anything. and (laughs) We all (laughs) liked it. So that's, um, you know,
1: uh, it's worth your time. Do you want me to announce the number five one? Sure. Go for it. All right. Just because I want to throw it out there that I don't want anybody to judge me thinking I'm not a true horror fan because I watch 90% of the horror movies that come out. I just haven't got around to watching our number five so Croner is going to cover the whole thing. I did read the book, so boom, what up? I'm a hipster. Um, well, Gerald's- you can, <laughs> you can game. jump in with the book stuff. That's fine. I mean, I, there's not going to be a whole, since we're not doing spoilers or anything like that. It follow. It actually follows the book very closely, like for the at least for the first part of it. So, um, but Gerald's game, um, a Stephen King movie adaptation uh, from Netflix, is our number five. So I'm going to let Croner take it away.
0: So, um, this is, a, everything that I saw in 2017, this movie impressed me more than most. And I know it's not our number one or anything. It's our number five, but for like a straight to Netflix movie, um, which again, another, it's a small cast. It's a contained setting. I do love Stephen King, but unlike Steve, I never read the book and I actually, I kept con- when they were making it, I kept confusing it with Jacob's ladder, which totally different. <laughs> um, But this was directed by Mike Flanagan, again, who we mentioned earlier. He directed Hush, also for Netflix. This guy's killing. I mean, I don't know what his deal is with Netflix. I hope they keep him signed on, and I hope he... um, I know Stephen King came out and personally said he was really impressed with the adaptation, and uh, I know it's been rumored that Mike Flanagan might take on a couple more Stephen King stories, um, which I'm really hoping for. Uh, But this movie, if, if you don't know what it is, Um, let's go over the synopsis. Uh, while trying to spice up their marriage in their remote lake house, Jessie must fight to survive when her husband dies unexpectedly, leaving her handcuffed to their bed frame. So let me just say this. Carla Gugino is gorgeous. All right. Yep. And, uh, she's, she's been around Hollywood for a long time and it's not often, you know, typically she gets cast as like the hot this you know the girlfriend or the you know the wife or romantic love interest it's not often they give her the opportunity to carry a film the way that she carries this and she knocks it out of the park she was awesome i've always been a fan of hers going back to when she played karen cisco um on abc which is a spin-off of uh, the movie out of sight by uh L. leonard books
1: I always I go. I always go so much further back to son-in-law back for the Paul yeah. Shore days.
0: <laughs> I know most people do.
1: I'm just. I'm an love uh, Elmore
0: Leonard nut, and I love Justified. She actually shows up as Karen on Justified, ties everything together.
1: Oh yeah, you told me about that.
0: That's way off topic, but anyway, cool, um, though. I thought it was cool that that she really was given a chance to shine here, and she killed it. Carla Gugino was awesome, and uh, Bruce Greenwood, who's good in everything, uh, plays her husband, and it's sort of you know it starts off. Kind of kinky a little bit where, you know, like they said in the description, they want to spice up their marriage. He, They go to the lake house. He brings handcuffs and they start, you know, fooling around or whatever. And she doesn't like it. And they get an argument and he has a heart attack. And um, here now she's left handcuffed to this bed and they're out in the woods. And, um, you know, it's just uh, there's no one around. And it's her struggle to survive and how she, you know, if she can escape, how she's going to escape. And um, there's some, if you haven't read the book, there's some surprises, some twists and turns. And because it's on Netflix and readily available for most everybody to watch, I don't want to ruin anything. But um, this is totally worth uh, worth your 90 minutes or, or whatever it's going to um I don't remember what the runtime was, but I don't think it was too much longer than that.
1: Yeah, if you have Netflix, don't be like me. Get on that shit and watch it. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it this week. I I'm, would I'm guarantee it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're gonna watch it just you know a week too late. But um, I, I know Mike Flanagan has been in talks to pick up a couple more uh, Stephen King adaptations, and I was just trying to—I couldn't remember what they were, so I was trying to look it up real quick. But I'm not seeing it now. That might all still be in. Uh, in rumor phase but as soon as we find out we'll uh we'll let people oh the shining sequel that's what it was dr sleep he wants to um if you don't know stephen king wrote a book a couple years ago called dr sleep and it's about danny torrance when he's an adult so it's like a a pseudo sequel to the shining it's not like a direct sequel to the story but it's about danny torrance again and uh, Mike Flanagan is—he wants a chance to direct that. And uh, at this point, I'm willing. Whatever Mike Flanagan wants to do, give it to him. He—he um, uh, he has a tendency to do a lot with a you know limited budget and small casts, and so I'm pretty impressed with him.
1: I sometimes get worried that they're gonna um, that they're gonna like take him like or not not that anybody's gonna take him off of the movie, but I feel like he's just gonna. Have you noticed they get poached? Like, a lot of the horror directors keep getting poached into doing, like, these big-budget films and stuff now. Yeah. And it's well, you like, look at, like, damn, they do so good with it. I mean, I know they want to do other stuff and spread their wings, but man, some of these people are so good at horror that I hate to lose them.
0: <laughs> right. And you get, like, you get guys who are, like, super committed to the horror genre, like Eli Roth, mm-hmm. and they spend their whole career in it, but they never, you know, those guys don't ever seem to do anything great. They do a bunch of stuff that's, like, good but they never do anything great. You know, Eli Ross best movie is what cabin fever. And that was like his first major release. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, like you're talking about like with James Wan, James Wan is, you know, arguably the the biggest breakout horror director the last 15 years. And he did the, the first saw movie and he did insidious and, uh, the conjuring and, uh, and then they got him doing like Fast and Furious 7 and or whatever the hell Aqu- it was. Aquaman. <laughs> and now he's doing Aquaman, which, which I'm, I'm more excited. excited <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. uh, I, I think between him and Momoa, Aquaman is going to be dark. And they'll, they'll probably, especially, they've been talking about maybe adapting the Trench storyline. Oh, hell yeah. From, from didn't, the,
1: and I think even Juan said he's, it's going to have a lot of horror elements to it. Well, that's, I
0: mean... Um, I don't know how much crossover there is in our audience, but if uh, when the new 52 DC comics relaunched a few years back, uh, the Aquaman book was actually real good, and the the opening storyline was called The Trench, and it was these, like, they weren't xenomorphs, but they were, like, kind of, you know, like... They are like piranha fruity. people. Yeah, like piranhas with human bodies, almost, um, that came out of the trench he had to fight, and it, it's, I mean, it plays out like a horror movie, and if they <laughs> adapt that with Jason Momoa in the lead, I mean... Marvel's doing the new mutants. Aquaman could be DC's first horror movie. Yeah. So And uh, you know,
1: Jeff Johns can make any comic like the shit. Like he's, he's made Green Lantern cool again. He's made Flash cool again. And he did it with Aquaman. He, Aquaman was he a made joke Aquaman, for a long time.
0: Yeah, made Aquaman cool for the first time ever. So, yeah. Uh, I was going to say,
1: was he ever cool? But like, I don't, I don't they, think uh, so. But no, like it, like Adam Wingard, it's almost a thing where like, until they make a shitty horror movie or they have a couple misfires, then I'm okay with them, like, going and doing other stuff. Like, I mean, Adam Wingard, what was was the last thing he did? Death Note? I'm just.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that's, for people who jumped on late, our, the second episode we ever did, which is also the one with the fewest amount of, <laughs> of <laughs> listens or downloads, I believe, um, was all about Adam Wingard, who did um, You're Next, which we loved. And then after that, followed it up with just a bunch of sort of mediocre type horror fare, and uh, was recently handed the reins to the next Godzilla movie. Um, so we'll uh, we'll see how that turns out.
1: Oh, he's a, he's but. doing the uh, he's doing the God. See, that's the thing I was talking about with the horror directors, though. He's doing Godzilla versus Kong, but then um, Mike Doherty, the guy who did Krampus, he's gonna do um, the next Godzilla one. Oh, Godzilla the Islander king of the monsters king of monsters yeah so it's like these these horror directors and then one director we'll talk about in a little bit david sandberg he's actually moving on from doing two awesome horror (laughs) movies to do shazam if you know they still fall through with that whole plan so these these horror directors are getting some pretty big jobs yeah well and it's
0: funny too because they're it's funny the studio's poaching these guys because The guys that are getting poached are doing like cheap indie movies with small casts and they're killing it. And then the studio's like, okay, now do this $200 million huge scale movie that's (laughs) nothing like anything you've ever done before. And there's like very little like stepping stone in between them. Though um, I think Mike Flanagan's shown enough of flair so far where uh, the way he uses the thing he's really good at too and and an underrated aspect of horror films is uh, audio. Mike Flanagan is great in the way he uses sound or silence in his mm-hmm. movies um, to really create uh, an atmosphere. And I don't know, you know, in a movie like, uh, you know, some of these big summer blockbusters, I don't know that you get the opportunity to slow it down enough to utilize silence.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, so, what like Godzilla and Kong going to, like, roar at the same time, and then everybody's just going to be deaf for a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what will happen. I think that might happen. Could be. Uh um all right well
0: let's move on to our our number four which is the actually the based on release date the newest movie on our list um and that's uh annabelle creation
1: yes and that is the one that's who i was talking about It's doing uh he's scheduled to direct shazam is uh david sandberg and he i think he that's it's a shame to me that he's moving on to that because after watching annabelle creation which i also just watched today um He's, I think he's two for two with his horror because he did lights out, which like you said, I, I like that a little more than you, but, um, yeah, he's, I think he's two for two in the horror genre. So, um, Annabelle creation, like I was saying, I, man, I, there's like, I've got about three of the conjuring universe movies to catch up on right now. But like, I, like I said, it's not that I don't want to watch them. They're all so well done. But, like, they literally just, like, they scare the shit out of me. Well, not literally. I don't shit myself. But, like, they really do. (laughs) They just, like, scare me so much. Like, it's just, I don't know, the whole, like, demon possession type stuff. Like, it just, I don't know why. I can't say it hits close to home because, like, I've never been possessed by a demon or known anybody. But, like, it's So you claim. Yes, so I claim. It's my secret double life. I'm an exorcist. But, um, I don't know, man. Like, Annabelle Creation just, it's like, it went for, like about 40 minutes where it's like there's certain little scares that still made me slightly jump. But once it, <laughs> once the shit hits the fan, it doesn't fucking stop. And it was traumatizing me. Um, just until the very end, man, it was just, it was a roller coaster. I, it was good, really good movie. So, um, well, and this
0: is, this is one too, like we've said with the, the lower budgeted stuff, not a super low budget. I mean, uh, the first Annabelle movie that spent 37 million, it grossed 84, which is you know more than enough to justify a sequel. The second one they spent 35 million and it grossed 102. So I mean they spent two million less and grossed almost 20 million more than the previous movie. Um, which typically you see with sequels you see that the the gross will go up but the budget normally doubles. The fact that that he did it for less than they did the first movie, and this one is you know almost universally considered better than the first film, um, is you know that's.
1: Not yeah, that, easy, that's not an, an easy thing to do.
0: Well, and it's funny that you brought up Wish Upon, because uh, the director of Wish Upon, uh, Linetti, John R. Linetti, also directed the first Annabelle movie, um, as well as a little movie you might remember from the 90s called Mortal Kombat Annihilation.
1: Oh, fuck, I didn't know
0: that. <laughs> so, uh, God almighty.
1: Guy, I didn't know who really, directed that.
0: <laughs> this guy's really killing it. He's got, uh, since 97, he's done three movies.
1: Wow. So. I mean, Annabelle, like, it seemed like a lot of people went to go see Annabelle. But yeah, I mean, this one, it did sound like this one was a little bit better. This one one's I mean, seen, almost, almost
0: universal. I mean, maybe it's just you traded out... Um, you brought in Anthony Lapaglia and who uh, doesn't love him? He's on, like, CBS TV shows and stuff. Yeah, he's so.
1: great. Uh, so I married an ex murder is like my that's my focal point well, that, of him. <laughs> like, that's that is I, his that's I his best him. role ever. Yeah, yeah.
0: Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's at this point I mean I think every entry to the the Conjuring series to this point has at least been um, good if not real good. You know, the first Conjuring movie is 20 10 i think around there 2009 yeah i think think
1: it's 2010 i think
0: think that's the best haunted house movie i've seen in you know like decades you know like that's uh that's everything i wanted the haunting to be back in 99 or 2000 um that's the one that's
1: the one i watched and it i couldn't fucking watch conjuring 2 and annabelle i'm gonna watch them now if i made it through this one i gotta I got Well we we should
0: just do a day. We've been talking about doing a day to to do all the insidious movies. We should do a conjuring day as well. We got Well so far there's two Annabelle movies. You're asking a lot. (laughs)
1: See see those in a day (laughs) because I can only handle one handle one every now and then.
0: We're gonna fuck you up with these. Yeah, you want me to have a heart
1: attack apparently?
0: But you got the Conjuring, the Conjuring Two, Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, and then upcoming. We'll oh,
1: wait till the Nun comes out.
0: They're working on the Nun. They're working on Conjuring Three, and I think they're also doing another one, the Thin Man or the Tall oh, Man it's, or something, it's the, the Crooked Man or whatever, or the Crooked Man. That's what it is. Uh, I'm all my movies up. So where the, the hell Tall Man is, is Phantasm? Yeah.
1: What did the Where did the Crooked Man come from? Like which movie did from he come from? Was he from Conjuring, Conjuring Two? 2? Okay. I
0: but didn't the Nun so, yeah.
1: didn't the Nun also come from that, or did she come from Annabelle? Yes. The nun was also
0: in Conjuring 2, I believe. Okay, gotcha. I haven't watched that since the theater, so I need to. I'm do for a rewatch. But I believe they were both from Conjuring 2.
1: I think we. I think I have that on Voodoo too. I should probably just. I'll wait I'll wait. We can watch it. <laughs>
0: all right. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's jump into our top three. And again, this is another sort of jump. Um, this was when we discussed the order of this list and everything. There was never a doubt what the top three movies would be. It was simply which order we were going to put them in. Um, both Steve and I loved all three of these movies and really you can sort of shuffle them uh, however you want. And I wouldn't be too upset But um, for our purposes at third, we put um, the triumphant return of M night Shyamalan with his movie split, which um, came out last January. So it's almost a year old now and uh, sort of changed expectations, you know, uh, for years If a movie was coming out in January, it was typically code that it sucked. You know, the studios were hiding it.
1: (laughs) The dumping ground.
0: Yep, they just dump them in January. But uh, Split was great. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch is our lead, along with uh, Professor X himself, James McAvoy. And um, this was uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Started his career off real strong with the... Too strong. Too strong. (laughs) He flew too close to the sun <laughs> with uh, with The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and then it was just a steady decline. If you look at, uh, there's line charts out there, line graphs of his Rotten Tomato scores, and it's <laughs> like, they start at Sixth Sense, and it's just steadily, the score goes down every movie, all the way up until about uh, 2012 or so, when, when he did Devil, um, which that was sort which of an he underrated... Which
1: he didn't even direct, I think he just wrote. No, he, he but... wrote and produced it, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, like, still, I were, I, that was actually I, we, I – we've enjoyed that, I thought.
0: We, yeah, we you a, saw that
1: in a theater together, so I think. I was just going
0: to say, that's one of my favorite – Steve and I are at the theater for Devil, and this was a time where um, the studios had stopped trying to cash in on his name. So the initial advertisements, they didn't even mention M. Night Shyamalan. And we're in the theater, and the opening credits start, and it's, like, written by M. Night Shyamalan, not just from the two of us, but from the whole crowd, there was an audible groan. We were just <laughs> like, ugh. they tricked us and uh i ended up really enjoying the movie so it's um but it's gotten better since then and split is you know one of his best and um the uh if you don't know what it's about let me give you a little let me give you a little description here three girls are kidnapped by a man with A diagnosed 23 distinct personalities. They must try to escape before the apparent emergence of a frightful new 24th. Um, so Amy Taylor Joy is the main character here, but McAvoy is maybe the most impressive in this movie simply because he does handle such a wide array of personalities. Uh and it's, uh, it's kind of impressive how he's able to switch between, you know, convincingly switch between all these different personalities. And it's uh, in supporting role. You also got Betty Buckley, a little bit of horror lineage there. She was in the original Carrie movie as Miss Collins. Um, and then, you know, for fans of the show Oz, like Steve and I were, yeah. she was Suzanne Fitzgerald. Um, but she's a great actress. She plays his uh psychiatrist or therapist or whatever.
1: Also, his, his Betty doctor. Buckley does not appear to have aged since she was on Oz. No, and like that's she's look look 20,
0: 20 years ago. Yeah. And She's aged considerably since Carrie, but it's like between Carrie... She did all her aging between Carrie and Oz and then just flat-out stopped.
1: Yeah, she's all done.
0: Yeah. Like, she started on Oz in 2001, and she's just like, all right, I'm done <laughs> aging.
1: <laughs> yeah, Split was... Um... It was a very like I love Anya Anya Taylor Joy or whatever and like I just she's great in everything I see but like like you said McAvoy just like <laughs> he stole the show from like everybody in this movie just like the personalities that he had were just like oh my god they're just so creepy they're like creepy and they're all so fucking different but um I don't know I liked it a lot I, I I it was a it was kind of like a it was almost like a slow burn type of horror too like there you know i mean it took a while to build up to the true horror elements of it oh for sure i mean it starts off it's tense
0: and it starts off more thriller-esque and it does eventually turn into a horror movie and um being that it came out in january it is therefore you know maybe the oldest movie on our list uh i think we can there we can talk about the end um without going into too much detail because uh movie news since then has kind of spoiled the the Shyamalan twist
1: and even if you spoil that last little scene it doesn't spoil anything else about no, the movie it's
0: got nothing to do with the rest of the movie but we learn and as most people have heard by now at the very end of split during the there's a mid to post credit scene uh, where we find out that it takes place in the same cinematic universe as his film unbreakable uh, which starred Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson, and they are now doing a third movie that will bring the cast of Split and the cast of Unbreakable together, and they'll all be in it, um, sort of combining the two. Um, so that was kind of a cool twist. It was fun if you were at theater opening weekend before it got spoiled, or you know if I didn't just spoil it for you right now. Uh, that was fun thing to see at the end but i mean if you're a big horror fan you probably got around to watching this in the last year.
1: Yeah. I mean um, we're and we're straight up on a year of it coming out so right. shame, on, shame on you if you haven't seen it.
0: <laughs> and the other and i don't want to ruin the other sort of twist towards the end um involved an actor who i really like who's in it sporadically throughout the the movie we find out something about um Anya taylor joeys uncle in there who is played by Brad William Henke who i have always enjoyed he was on um and i know i just talked about justified a fist. few minutes ago but uh he was he was in justified um and during the second season he played Coover bennett who which is the best season of justified he was awesome he's been a bunch of stuff he's recently on uh he was in bright and he was on orange is the new black as piscatella and uh sneaky pete for amazon i mean the guy's guy's working a lot he's huge I always recognize this guy right away just because I liked that season of justified. So like he was so good in there, like that I was associated with though. I watched bright that Will Smith movie, the Netflix movie came out a few weeks ago. And in there I recognized his voice, but he plays an orc. So he's unrecognizable by face, he was, but he was he,
1: like the big main orc guy. He right? was the
0: main, the main orc. The yeah. And man. so I, yeah, right away I was like, Oh my God, that guy sounds super familiar. So, um, but anyway, so you have your, your, I mean, this movie, Shyamalan's famous or infamous for uh, for forcing twists in the end of all his movies. This one, you've actually got like two or three twists, you know, in the last half hour of the movie. But they're all good. They were all solid and it was uh, made for an enjoyable watch. And this is one I've actually been meaning to go back and revisit. I'll probably watch again pretty soon. But um, so our number three for 2017 was Split. That brings us to number two. And probably what is the most critically acclaimed movie on our list um Jordan Peel of key and Peel fame, his directorial debut he wrote and directed this uh the movie of course is get out and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher his name, but it stars Daniel Kalua. is that how you say it? do you know
1: um I believe so
0: okay well, that's not too bad uh it looks like Kalua so um He was, for any Black Mirror fans out there, if you recognized him in this movie and didn't know where you might know him from, he was in the second episode from season one of Black Mirror and he was awesome. And when the trailer came out for this, I was like, oh, that's the guy from Black Mirror. And it's kind of made me want to see this even more. Um the movie also features Allison Williams and Bradley Whitford, who is one of my favorite actors of all time from you know the West Wing and Studio 60. And, of course, Billy Madison. I say
1: more like Billy Madison, bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and then uh, Catherine Kinnear from 40-Year-Old uh, Virgin. but uh, uh, And Caleb Landry-Jones was good in here, too. He played Jeremy. Um, along with a bunch of other. The movie is actually probably stolen by uh, Rod Williams the character Rod oh, Williams is yeah. played by Laurel Howell
1: Yeah, he was awesome.
0: Um, who is uh Daniel's character is, is named Chris Washington. Um Ron Rod Williams is his best friend. So, uh, uh he's funny in there. But if you haven't seen this, then you're one of the few people out there. Um but it's uh <clears throat> It's time for a young African-American to meet his white girlfriend's parents for the weekend in their secluded estate in the woods. But before long, the friendly and polite ambiance will give away give way to a nightmare. So it's about a guy who's a black guy who's dating a white girl, and he goes to meet her family and initially is just kind of uncomfortable in that, you know, I think a lot of people would be in this situation. Um, he's surrounded by, you know, old, rich white people and... uh you know, he grew up in the city and they're out in the country and he's just sort of out of his element a little bit. And, uh, but quickly you discover it's not just that it's, uh, you know, it's not just general uncomfortableness. There is actually something sinister going on. Um, and I don't, if you haven't seen it, this is a great movie and I don't want to ruin exactly what's happening. Now. I think from the trailer, most people have figured out for the most part, but, um, this was another early early year release uh, last year. Came out in February, and um, was you know when it came out, and Jordan Peele's name was attached to. It, I think a lot of people were expecting more comedy, which the the Rod character did give us a lot of comedy. But the um, it was much deeper and much darker than a lot of people were expecting, it's kind of a, a better, more serious take on the the old Stepford Wives movie from the seventies um not the same thing but similar themes
1: um, i yeah, i think that movie needed it, it definitely needed the humor that was in it because get out has like a huge chance of like making a lot of people uncomfortable like for sure like i like i mean i you might disagree with me on that but like there's you know i mean there's no doubt like i don't want to spoil anything but you know i mean in the description itself it says you know young african americans going to meet his white, white girlfriend's parents like they point out African American and white for a reason, you know what I mean. It's like there's that whole there's a the whole, whole commentary about the you know about race. The and, whole
0: and, movie um, plays with with racial tensions in America and race relations, and um, he has every right to feel uncomfortable. And you, as the audience, feel uncomfortable with him, even uh, you know as innocent as her family seems and as comfortable as they try and try and make him. It's just sort of a situation that I don't think anybody. Um, Looks forward to even regardless of uh of race. I mean, a lot, I think a lot of times the first time you go to meet your girlfriend or your boyfriend's uh, family, it's uh it's an uncomfortable situation. Here, it's just highlighted. You know, they don't. It's not. It's not like you taking a car ride to spend have dinner. You know, they're going for a whole weekend. They're nowhere near home. They're you know out in the middle of nowhere. It's um it's a different kind of experience, and it's uh but everyone in it was great. The acting was great. Um.
1: Even like and, in a in a theater experience sense, though that was like one where after the movie, and I've never done this with a movie before, but after the movie was done, like I got up and like looked around the theater to see who was in the theater to see what the what their what reaction the was were. and what they the look on their face was or so, you know. But I, I mean, it seemed like everybody enjoyed it. But I was just I was so curious afterwards to like get up and look around. <laughs> like,
0: well, and this is one too. I I think it's great because this movie made people talk. And I think when a movie yeah. like this comes out and it's good and it's entertaining and it creates discussion. It creates the the desire to want to talk, you know, about race and about things that that typically are uh, taboo or made it uncomfortable. It, it uh, I think that's important. And I think um, art in the form of music or movies or TV or whatever uh, does reflect society and culture and life, and it's uh, and I think this this movie i think jordan peele did a great job of of hitting on what's important and what needs to be discussed while not taking away from the enjoyment of the audience so we're not getting too preachy about it and staying you know uh the movie remained um you know you, you felt tense and you felt uncomfortable with the character and it led into the like it, it enhanced the viewing experience and uh and it was i mean it was just it, it's a phenomenal movie and this is one that you know I think years from now, people will still watch and it'll still get talked about. You know, a lot of horror movies tend to fade away pretty quick, um, but I think this this one will probably have some staying power.
1: Yep, and Jordan Peele's gonna be like everybody's just waiting to see what he's gonna be doing next. Like they're just well, I would, tell, like, would you feel any pressure if you were him? Like. Just, like oh, everybody's my just, God. like yeah raving about your first movie and then it's just like shit I can't really.
0: <laughs> well he's already signed on now they're bringing back the twilight zone again he's going to be one of the uh, i don't know cool. head writer or showrunner or i don't know exactly what his title will be but he's going to be executive producer or whatever but he's going to be uh heavily involved in the new twilight zone which i mean and that's kind of this movie felt a little <laughs> yeah, bit like this, a, it like definitely a could have zone.
1: been a fucking twilight zone episode yeah. that's great um and
0: and like i said a minute ago uh um, you know, everyone in here was good. Rose was his girlfriend's played by Allison Williams, who I wasn't familiar with coming into this because I, I know she's big on girls, which I don't watch. <laughs> um, so I hadn't seen her in much, but I, I thought she was phenomenal in here. I yeah, thought she was a, great. Brian Williams' uh,
1: daughter, the news anchor.
0: Oh, um, yeah. And, uh, I didn't the, know that.
1: The first thing I saw her in was girls, but then I also saw her in the, unfortunately, the uh, live action um, or the live production. Of uh, Peter Pan, <laughs> I think oh, it was. The, was on, on ABC with Christopher yeah. Walken as Captain Hook.
0: I watched some Who? of that, but I guess I didn't know. To, I didn't know she was in it, but I did. Oh, I watched Peter some Pan. of that just just for Walken. Oh, she played Pan. Yeah, I I believe, didn't,
1: was she? Yeah, I didn't she played know. Peter Pan. And then, uh, dude, we're so off topic with that, but Christopher Walken was so terrible. <laughs> oh my god, he, he was the only reason I watched, and yeah, he was. He was awful. <laughs> I'm gonna kill oh. that Peter. Pan pan like dude he was just so bad when he was singing and everything oh thank you chris for walking <laughs> uh-huh. but
0: yeah i mean acting i thought everyone was spot on in here uh, marcus henderson and betty gabriel played georgina and walter um you know who are super creepy every scene that they're in and uh <laughs> as is jeremy who is rose's brother um he was played by caleb landry jones and uh, he he's was super so super he's, creepy
1: he's so good at playing it's unfortunate. I mean, the only competent person I saw him play was uh, Banshee in uh, yeah. X-Men First Class. But, man, he plays such a – well, in this one, he wasn't so inept. Like, he was – you know, he definitely had his shit. Yeah, right? he, was he wasn't master.
0: inept. He was just
1: super creepy. Super but... creepy. But, like, everything else, like, he was an American-made and contraband. He's always, like – the in those both of those movies, he played the fucking bumbling – brother-in-law to the main character okay, screws that screws everything up <laughs> like, I didn't
0: see American Made but I was going to Contraband I yeah. remember he's, he's the one that messes everything up for Marky Mark uh,
1: but yeah I mean and I was almost thinking that Giovanni Ribisi was the bumbling guy but he was the villain The villain who yeah. he screwed up for and it's like dude if you're playing the bumbling idiot over Giovanni Ribisi holy shit man <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you nailed it
0: you took his archetype character you took yeah, his
1: you know like yeah, um, I love Giovanni Ribisi man he's awesome
0: the uh, well, his first role was was No Country for Old Men, which I didn't realize. But he's just kid on bike. And then he was in Breaking Bad and Friday Night oh, Lights. So shit. he was he's actually the kid
1: been who gave Javier Bardem his shirt, or the guy, the kid who was with him. I wonder if it was the you know it definitely wasn't the kid who gave him his shirt, but I think it was the kid that was with him. That's maybe.
0: Uh, yeah, so I mean, he's been a lot of stuff I've seen. I just didn't. He's in The Last Exorcism, a Social Network. Uh, he was Banshee on Friday or on X Men, um, but yeah, this is you know. Before, if I saw him, I was like, oh, it's Banshee. Now I will be like, oh, it's the kid from, uh, the creepy guy from from Get Out. This is (laughs) what he'll now be associated with. Um, And that, uh, so this, you know, Get Out is probably, it's already been nominated for some Golden Globes as best comedy, which raised some eyebrows, but it's simply, they don't have a. They don't have a horror category and if they put it in drama it doesn't stand a chance. So
1: Yeah, it's like the same thing that happened with the Martian. I mean, yep. shit's not a comedy.
0: <laughs> They're like, Oh, I had a couple parts that I laughed at, so we'll give it best comedy. Um But I mean, get out of everything on our list, that's probably the one that has the best chance to win, you know, a major in a major category, you know. Um I don't know that it'll take best picture, but you know it's probably going to be up there for screenplay and maybe maybe even like some supporting acting roles or something. I don't I don't know. We'll see when the nominations come out. But um, the uh, our next movie, the number one movie on our list, uh, could also get some some attention for adapted screenplay, I suppose. But I haven't heard any real buzz about it, so probably not. But uh, that was the the 2017 uh, theatrical release of It, Stephen King's It. Yes. So this is a movie over the years we've talked a lot about. This was my most anticipated movie for 2017. The old 1990 um Tim Curry miniseries is is you know if you count it as a movie is like my favorite horror movie ever or one of them. It's right up there with The Thing and the original Halloween. Um well this one was directed by Andy Muschietti who previously did Mom or no Mama? Mama. Mama. Uh you know starring Jamie Lannister and um <laughs> and it was uh this was, I mean, the, as Stephen King recently said, this movie was the perfect storm. You know, right at a time where, like, people were being creepy and dressing up as clowns. And, uh, you know, it had been just long enough since the last version of the movie. And they, they got a good cast and they cut a sweet trailer. This became quickly the highest grossing horror film of all time. It was one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And, um, I mean, for an R-rated movie about a clown that murders children you know, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, I think I it exceeded, it. <laughs> I think it exceeded a lot of expectations. And, and while it probably won't get the, you know, didn't get the critical acclaim that they get out or even split did. Um, this is probably going to be the, you know, remembered as one of the biggest horror movies of the decade. You know, this is uh this is something people will still be watching for a long time. This is going to be considered a classic. Um, and I, I think, When you do this kind of list and you rank stuff, I think rewatch value is a is a huge factor, and it's got to be something you want to watch again um, to take top spot. This I saw twice on opening day at the theater, so it qualified for me.
1: Yep, I was gonna say I've uh, I definitely saw it twice in the theater, and then I've watched it (laughs) a couple times since then when it finally came out on a digital release. So um, it hit every emotional chord with me. Like, all the way around. Like, it was... Some people were saying, like, oh, it wasn't even that scary. It's like, being a good horror movie doesn't mean you have to constantly be scary. Thanks a lot, Annabelle. Creation, you fucking... Life. <laughs> like, they were fucking constantly scary in that. But, like, with it, there were genuinely creepy moments. And there were a couple, like, scare the shit out of me moments. But, like, it was so spread apart in a long... You know, it's a longer movie, so it's it's it was spread out so much that it's, like... There was so much stuff in between. Like you were saying, the cast, all those, the kids in that cast were so fucking good. They were perfect. Every single one of them were. And, uh, you know, I, there was parts where I teared up. There were parts where I freaked out. And then there were parts where I laughed. There were a lot of parts where I laughed, by the way, for a horror movie. The amount of laughs that that movie got out of me were, like, it was crazy.
0: Finn Wolfhard, who plays Richie Tozier, um, who most people know as uh, Mike from Stranger Things was hilarious yeah like every scene he's in i was laughing and some people um some people hated him for that or found him annoying but i for That's me good. he made it and i i
1: i um <laughs> that was supposed to be him
0: <laughs> yeah i did uh, a review of this after it came out and like i said then and i stand by this you know bill skarsgård was good as pennywise and the you know there was a lot of good things about the movie but the kids stole it you know like yeah. they um, And unlike the miniseries, this only focused on the first half of the story. So it's just when they're kids. It doesn't, you know, bounce back and forth between 1960 and 1990 like the old one. This all takes place in was it, 87, 88, or something like that. Yeah, um, I think 80, so. Or maybe 89. When I did when, Batman was playing? Yeah, Batman was playing. So it was 89, you're right? So 89. So like the next one, the next movies coming out in 2019. The second half, and that's going to take place in 2019. Um, But you look at, like we talked about, uh, Annabelle creation, um, they spent 35 million and it grossed a hundred million. Well, it, they spent 35 million and it grossed, uh, 700 million worldwide. So this is, uh, much like Mike Flanagan's going to get some more play on, uh, on the Stephen King stuff. I think Andy Muschietti is going to get some more play and you know, his, after the second movie, he'll probably get his choice. And he's already, he's already mentioned, um, he would really like to redo Pet Cemetery next. And, uh, which we, all...
1: we've said before is in a dire need yeah. of a I mean, if there's, remake. If there's a Stephen
0: King one that needs a <laughs> remake, Pet Cemetery is right at the top of that list. Yeah. Um, so this is a, and like you said, it's longer, as two hours and 15 minutes. And, uh, people talk about how old the, the miniseries was, but when you put the miniseries together, it's only, you know, it's not like it was a five hour thing. It's like, um, around three hours or so, I think. Uh, And so you got 2.15 just on the first half of this one. Um, By the time they add the second movie in, it'll be considerably longer than the miniseries. And because it's R-rated, because it's theatrical and it wasn't cut for TV in the early 90s, they were able to, to leave a lot of stuff in the book in, things that had to be cut out on the TV version. So you're getting a more complete version of the story.
1: Well, plus, like, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but like any movie over two hours... Even if it's like two hours fifteen minutes, two hours thirty five minutes, you always run the risk of like a certain act stumbling or having like oh yeah I mean? like, like you had kind of, lulls in the yeah like you know, the pacing one, suffers yeah Wonder Woman one of the highest grossing movies of the year and one of the best DC probably well one of the I'll say one of the best DC movies because I do love Man of Steel but like <laughs> um for one of the best movies that there was it, it had issues with that final act like you know what I mean it kind of. It stumbled for sure. But like it well, did not have any lulls for me. It didn't, didn't stumble at all. It was just all around. Good, good movie.
0: Yeah. I, I thought the casting was great. All the kids were good. Um, Finn Wolfhard again, as Richie Tozier. it's easy to pick him as a, as a favorite. Cause he had all the funniest lines, but I mean, uh, Sophia Ellis played, um, Beverly Marsh. Who's a lone girl. I thought she was great. Um, and, uh, Bill, who's your you know, sort of the leader, was played by Jaden Leberher. Leberher? I can so um so I mean he's proven time and again that he can add he was on Masters of Sex, which is a great show on uh about uh Masters and Johnson, like the in the sex studies in the fifties. He plays uh Masters son on there. He was good and he was in Saint Vincent with uh uh, Bill Murray and Melinda McCarthy, and, and he's been in
1: a Midnight Special with Michael say, Shannon. Yeah, if there's ever a better I fucking mean, movie to see him in his Midnight Special, I mean, now it's it, but like Midnight Special was great.
0: He he's been good in most everything he is, but I mean, just the kids as a whole, they all, um, they, you know, I felt like they all were cast properly, and and yep. uh, and I, one thing I will say about this, as much as I love the old one, um, Stanley Uris is kind of glossed over a lot in the in the original. Miniseries, And uh, I felt like he got to do a little bit more in here, and um, yep. I thought they did a good job with him. And then uh, I think the one that most people were torn on, uh, the character most people were torn on that I heard, was Henry Bowers, who is, uh, I mean, a whole different kind of scary in, in this movie. And um, uh, he is, you know, instead of a, you know, late 50s, early 60s greaser punk, he's, you know, an 80s mullet wearing Am, you know, kind of trailer trash punk. And uh he was uh he was dark, real like I thought he was way darker than the other um than the original Henry Bowers. And uh but what, what plays into this and what I always liked about you know about everything about like the book, the miniseries, and this movie is um uh the town of Derry as a character itself. You know, there's this there's this uh willful ignorance sort of like a disease that hangs over the town where the adults kind of know something is happening that shouldn't be you know they they know something's wrong but not you know none of them are willing to really do anything and you see well, that
1: and like you said about like the disease part of it though like it, like in the book the kids the kids even like started to like figure this out or theorize on it they were you know it was like a thing of you know it like it cast that whole like Disease over the town, you know what I mean? Like right. it, it made these parents like turn away and not pay attention to the kids, and you know, be assholes. Not that p- parents aren't going to be assholes, <laughs> anyways. But yeah, like I think it was a thing of like you know, he it infected the town, like yeah. it infected the parents.
0: And they they show it in the in the old movie uh, most through Beverly, like when Bowers and them are harassing Bev, mm-hmm. and the neighbor sees it and he just goes in the house, and then like her dad comes home and saves her. But she's like, "That's the only time I was ever happy to see my dad." And then the new movie, it's shown more with Ben when Bowers and them corner Ben on the bridge. Yeah, with um, those people in the car or whatever. Yeah, they go by and they're just like, oh. Uh,
1: and I think when that red balloon pops up in the back seat, that was as close as they got to saying that. Right, You know, it kind of has like this power over everybody in the town because it's like his presence is just like everywhere with these adults.
0: And it's so it's such. And I think that was part two. Like the, they make a point, like part of the reason he lives in the sewers, it's like he affects everything. He's like yeah. in their water, yep. you know, like he's in the, the DNA of the town. Um, but and he has yeah.
1: access to everything.
0: So, yeah, I thought Andy Musciati did great. Um, this movie, you know, met all my expectations. Uh, and I actually, I think I liked it better the second time around. So if you've only seen it once, um, might be worth a a second watch if you, uh, if you're keen to do that, but we've, uh, we've droned down long enough here, I think. Um, so glad to be back. We're sorry about our prolonged absence. The holidays sort of hit everybody. Scoot's going through a move. Um, so it's put him out of commission a little bit as far as recording time. Um, but we should be back on regular schedule soon, hopefully. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't heard some of our earlier episodes, please go back and check them out. Like I said, we talked about Adam Weingard earlier, who did your um, your next. We did a whole episode about him. Our second episode. Um, there's stuff about Friday the Thirteenth. We did. Uh, it's not all list stuff. So we did. We've done multiple. Check them out. Let us know what you think. Um, let us know what we messed up or why we're stupid for leaving which movies
1: off our list. And um, oh, and you know what? I'd say. Let's say to them, stay tuned for, our, I believe our next episode is going to focus on something that a lot of people probably get pissed off with, with horror movies. Have you ever watched a horror movie where you see that main killer or villain and you think, I would just beat the shit out of this person? Look, we want, yeah. We're going to do we're gonna do a little rundown where we're each going to pick a couple characters, the three of us, and uh, we're going to tell you why we want to beat the shit out of them. And if we think we could beat the shit out of them, yes. there's one I want to beat the shit out of, but I, I don't think I could, but I'd try. Well, Scoot
0: will be back for that one. That'll be closer to, like, last episode when Steve wasn't here and Scoot and I did our uh, Unsung Heroes of Horror, you know, underrated characters, which uh, that was a short episode. If you're looking for something quick, um, check that out. But uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, next uh, most punchable horror villains um, (laughs) next time around. So uh, everybody have a good night, and I hope you had a good New Year, and we'll see you soon. See ya. All video soundbites are owned by their respective studios. Our theme music is written by Kevin MacLeod at Becompetech.com, used through Creative Commons License.
1: Every town has an Elm Street.